Well, welcome to Managing Marketing, and uh, this week we're in London, and I'm meeting with Elliot Pollock, CEO of Text Appeal and Newsroom. They're a cross-cultural marketing consultancy that uh, specialise in global trends creation and social media. Welcome, Elliot. Thank you very much, Darren. Look, uh, Elliot, uh, we, we, I think we ran into each other at a WFA conference many years ago, wasn't that right? That, I believe that's correct, Darren. You have a good memory. And um, I was always fascinated by this idea of cross-cultural because, you know, having grown up in Asia-Pacific, I think that's, for me, one of the most diverse sort of culture, cultural melting pots that you could possibly find. But you've got something similar because you're an American that grew up in Paris. Yeah, well, I moved to Paris when I was 12 years old. So I'm an American who went through culture shock moving to <laughs> France. Um, when I was young, um, I was told we're now going to live in France. Um, and I was a little bit concerned. So a friend of the family said, don't worry, Elliot, everybody around the world is basically the same. When right. I arrived in Paris, I realized that's not necessarily true. <laughs> and perhaps this was one of those Americans who'd never traveled outside of the country. Well, I have to tell you my uh, American in Paris story. Uh, as an Australian in Paris, I was sitting there having a beer uh, on, on the river and a big uh, minivan pulled up with all these American tourists. And I swear, one of them said, that's Notre Dame, the church they named after the university. Now, that's a bad American accent, but I think you get my point. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. But now when I go back to the United States, people say, Elliot, you have such a great accent. You speak such good English for European. <laughs> I can still hear your American accent. That's yeah, the interesting so we, we, we live between cultures. And one of the things that I find the most interesting is not necessarily the traditions of one culture versus the traditions of another culture and how they are different and how some things are appropriate in one place and some things are not appropriate in another place. That's interesting. But those traditions, I don't find the most interesting thing. I find it's what's changing very quickly because of cultural clashes, because of the two cultures touching each other. And then you see evolution and then you see um, much less defined lines between what's right and what's wrong in culture. Mm. And these are the things that I find really interesting for brands, because if you can understand the edge of culture, then you can perhaps make a difference and more have more impact in your message. So I think cultural understanding is absolutely essential for global brands. It's a huge tool to be more effective um, than brands that don't have that cultural understanding. And I disagree with those who say, yeah, it's important to understand different cultures so as not to make some kind of mistake, but that's about it, which is kind of lip service to cultural mm. difference. Well, because a lot's changed. I mean, you know, there was always this globalization that was happening, but certainly you'd have to say the internet, which has allowed everyone in the world to share their thoughts and feelings and ideas on a common platform has absolutely accelerated this cultural sharing, hasn't it? Yeah, cultural sharing, cultural shocks, um, polarization as well. I think that the sharing has not uh, made everyone more homogenized. I think maybe in a superficial way you have a certain homogenization of the way people think and what they say and what they buy. But at a deeper level, I think it may well be the opposite, that you have much stronger cultural polarization of people wanting to hold on to the values of a certain community that they're part of, or a certain place in the world that they're part of. And so this whole um, the, the, the internet actually is very diverse and in different countries the topics that are trending and that people are talking about 
top 10 topics are usually completely different from one country to another. So in a way you see more hyper-global connection, but also in a way much more hyper-local, um, um, uh, hyper-local communities. Yeah, and, and look, I absolutely agree. You know, it's the differences that make us interesting and it's the commonality that stops us completely falling apart, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there is such a thing as being too culturally sensitive um, that, and there are similarities between different places and people around the world and brands can leverage those similarities and there are basic human drivers so perhaps my friend in america was correct at some level that people around the world are the same the way it's expressed can be very different though That's yeah um, so those commonalities are things like love security acceptance sexual satisfaction or success you know there's a whole lot of things that make us yeah very and human, i would be very they? skeptical when you go i don't know to a certain country in asia and people explain to you as a Westerner, well, you have to understand, to understand our culture here, that family is really, really important. And I have a British friend who always says, well, yes, in England, we um, kill our babies. <laughs> um, so, no, it's more the emphasis on how individualistic or how um, um, community-minded a culture might be. The emphasis may be different, so... And, and it, that is interesting um, from my perspective because it wasn't that long ago that I saw that in Thailand, Hitler and the swastika is a popular culture figure that is often associated with many Thai brands. And it was brought up by, by a European TV program because they were so shocked at how could anyone possibly pick of all... Uh, it, characters of the 20th century, yeah. Adolf Hitler as something as a positive symbol of, of a brand. Yeah, I think you make a hugely important point, Darren, and it will become more and more important for brands as we go on, which is that digital and the internet isn't global by default. It's not by default we've put something um, um, in our, uh, we're, we're, we're expressing a certain message in our digital presence in this country. By default, yes, it will go across borders, but it's by default. No, it's by nature. Um, actually, digital is global by nature, which is a huge opportunity for brands, but it also means they have to think about whatever they do in whatever place they do it in a global way, to think world first rather than just think one market first. And at the same time, they have to be highly local, and that's the big challenge for brands. Mm. And so this is where, obviously, the idea and the concept of trans-creation. So this is, uh, I, I always, uh, when I first heard that term, I was a little bit confused, but I, I understand it's translation and creation to be able to customize into that hyper local sense isn't it yeah well i think where it came from is perhaps about 15 years ago um 15 20 years ago when you saw more and more brands starting to develop pan-regional or global campaigns mm -hmm. um and the, the, for reasons of economies of scale, because it costs less to develop um, a strong creative idea that might travel in many countries around the world. Yet there still was a need to adjust the messaging in a way that would be locally appropriate. And clearly translation, which is about accuracy of message, is not enough. It's not about how accurate you are in our business, it's about how much impact you have. Mm. How much impact you have on people locally so that your products will be remembered and will be sold. Um, and also how much consistency you have 
with your brand as a whole because brands started to have value in themselves needed to build up that value and therefore needed a certain level of consistency around the world. So Trent's creation said, well, actually, you need to adjust the idea or the copy in a way that will be most persuasive as possible in the local market, in the local language, but 100% consistent with the message and what the brand is trying to say at core. Um, that's a word that's um, been used in Europe quite a bit and in the UK. It's not really used, I think, in the United States, and we'd more talk about marketing localization. And, and look, you said 15 years. I, the first time I heard it was probably five years ago in Asia. Right. And it was one of the uh, big European uh, trans creation companies that said, no, we don't do translation. And the conversation I had at that time was really interesting because, you know, not every language translates into another language perfectly so that it actually gives you the intent of the words that are actually said, you know, and a prime example of that, if it was possible to do that, Google Translator would be all we needed. Yeah, um, the, the, we only work with senior copywriters in local markets, not with translators. People who actually know how to write in their um, local, not just in the language, but in the culture, who understand brands and who know how to write in a persuasive way. Um, the goal is, like you say, to have be 100% consistent to the message, the concept, the idea, what has been originated, but not to the words necessarily. Yeah. Whereas translation is about being true to the words. That's right. This is about going beyond that and actually being, as you say, being true to the idea. And yet ideas can be, in some cases, almost ethereal mm. in, the, in nature. So I imagine that... Uh, from your experience, it, the, the more focused an idea is, not only the, the more effective it is when it is transcreated into other cultures. But there, there can be a ch big challenge with the idea itself as well, because some ideas do not travel very well. And that's something very hard to see when you're swimming within your own culture yeah. and within your own language. Um, uh, an example years ago we did some work for RBS when they were going global after a merger that they'd done their um, end line was make it happen um, and make it happen is just such an intuitive easy to understand phrase of three words in English mm -hmm. and they had great trouble understanding that this is something that would translate would be very difficult to translate into different cultures, into different languages, not just because of the words, but because of the idea behind it. And so we had to clarify that idea. What is the idea that actually we're expressing in different languages? Yes, markets? so I, I'd imagine in China that would mean the government will make it happen, yes. <laughs> not the individual. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and, and interesting you say that. We did some work for Starbucks and they were launching in China at the time and they wanted to understand how they would be perceived in China with a message about sustainability. Mm. Um, and the message about sustainability would be relevant to the government saying basically that we are a, um, uh, a, a, a company that's friendly uh, to the environment. It would be seen as more we're a company that has ties to the government that, uh, because people wouldn't understand why would a company be involved in that kind of thing. At yeah, because the, the Chinese government is now the single biggest investor in sustainable uh, energy. Yeah. You know, they, they have embraced the idea. Of, and I was in China only two weeks ago. Um, Xi'an, <coughs> excuse me, Xi'an, we didn't see 
any sunlight for the whole time we're there because it is so polluted. And, um, and so, you know, the government is heavily involved in converting China's huge industrial uh, engine into being a sustainable, environmentally sustainable um, operation. And I think that's a really important thing to remember um, that for a brand that's going to many different markets, it's not just about cultural difference. We've talked about that. It's not just about the difference in how a language can be used or what you can express and how it works in terms mm -hmm. of persuasiveness. It's also a difference in um, market maturity. The market may be in a different situation. You're, you may be number one in one market, number three in another market. That may mean your message should be different or that co uh, country may be evolving in uh, an economic way that's very different from another country. So there are the economics of it as well. Yeah, so you have to be, you know, unlike the colonialists of the past, where you just march into a new market and, and beat the drum and, and convert all the locals to your way of thinking, it's much more about understanding and working out how to involve yourself and in, 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 um, interweave your message and your brand proposition into that culture and market. Yeah, I think brands that, that can figure out how to do that and remain consistent are in a good position and using social media in particular, maybe we'll talk about that, can be a very powerful tool of getting really close to the customer in um, in the local market, but I would put a caveat to what you just said. It depends on the brand. Some brands, maybe what you call the colonial um, um, way of marketing, might be might be the right way. It might be that they're export brands, that there's a single message. Dyson, for instance, doesn't adjust its um, vacuum cleaners to different, or Hoovers, to different markets. Um, they, they, it, their marketing director told me, well, there was, they, they had um, people in one of the countries who said, it's embarrassing culturally here to see trash um, in, in a clear uh, re recipient. We, we, you know, that's not right. And they said, well, we don't care. Um, if people don't want to buy it, they won't buy it. So you have aspirational products that are sort of colonial export, and that can work well. Apple is relatively on that line as well, probably. And they use maybe what you could call the missionary position of advertising. The missionary position, please explain. That sounds very interesting. Well, the missionary position of simply um, what the missionaries do, which, which during the colonial period, they went out to convert people yeah. to, the, to a certain message. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's a type of global advertising, which is converting people to a certain message using a sort of missionary position. Well, oh, okay. The missionary position of strategy, not of uh, sexual performance. Uh, right? I, I wouldn't know what you were thinking, Terry. <laughs> Uh, and look, they have been very successful because, again, you know, in China, where most of the Apple products are manufactured, you go into the Apple stores and there are queues of people waiting to buy that product. Absolutely. And there is nothing. Oh, uh, they have made recently, um, they've made some small adjustments in that uh, they did admit that the range of gold iPhones was particularly for the Chinese market. I guess in this case, it's mostly a matter of doing something that is not offensive in a local market or not inappropriate in a local market. If you have this um, very, very consistent type of messaging around the world, you still have to make sure that you're not doing something that's silly or that will backfire. Mm. Um, while as other brands um, can gain enormous traction by being much more local.
Yeah, absolutely. Now, you did mention um, social media and newsroom. I'm really interested because to me, social media is at the very edge of where we see cultures clashing, mingling and creating new opportunities. Yeah. So uh, explain a little bit about newsroom. I think you know, speaking with clients that it occurred to me social media is an enormous opportunity for international brands and also a huge challenge for them and many of them are still struggling how to be very local. Social is probably the most local kind of way of communicating with people um, and at the same time it's now become the most prevalent way of communicating. In December 2014 around the world social media became um, uh, more used than television, so uh, at that time it's almost two hours um, of usage per day on average of social media, whereas television is closer to one hour thirty. So that's a, a shift. Yeah. And when I told my daughter who's thirteen, I said, this is amazing, you know, now social media is bigger than TV, she looked at me, Dad, obviously it is. It's much more interesting. We communicate with friends, we have personal relationships, we know what's happening, and I'm in control of what's happening. And that's the hugely interesting thing, um, but also the hugely um, difficult thing for brands to um, get involved in those conversations mm -hmm. where the audience is much more in control of the conversation. So is it okay to be intrusive and just try to grab people's attention on Snapchat, or is that over, and is it more of a way of giving people attention in a way that's appropriate and that will want that, that will help them engage with those brands, because I think people love to engage with brands, as long as it's at the right time in the right way. And also that the brand is uh, relevant and respectful to the conversation. You know, a lot of our clients really struggle with the idea of where, what's the role of their social media activity in the marketplace. And I always say to them, the easiest thing possible is to reduce it down to a personal, uh, at a personal level. You know, you and I are having a conversation and suddenly if a brand wanders in and starts being either totally irrelevant to what we're talking about or tries to almost drown us out and draw attention to themselves away from our conversation, then we're going to reject it. But if they come in and they listen and then join in at the appropriate time and in an appropriate way, that actually adds value to this conversation. I mean that value as in the experience of it, then you're going to be feeling much better about that brand's participation. Yeah, and I think also um, um, it's, it, it can be used in a very different way from traditional advertising and branding, which is more about awareness, making hopefully sure that people will remember your brand and remember something interesting and entertaining about it. While social media seems to me is much more about consideration. What I mean by consideration is when people are making up their minds. Will I go with this um, car? Will I go with that car? And providing information that's useful information um, can tip the balance and then can lead more towards sales. And I know a lot of brands have trouble with uh, the question of return on investment in social media, saying, well, you know, how do we calculate return on investment? Um, my answer often to that is, um, if you take a step back, the brands that have invested heavily in digital presence, such as Burberry in the luxury space, have gained enormous competitive advantage over other brands that were much 
um, more reluctant to invest in that space. And it wasn't based on a return on investment metric or calculation, but just on the faith that the CEO had that this was the way to go. Mm. Um, and I think it's if you look at a younger generation, how they're consuming media, then it just becomes obvious. The spending, from what I understand worldwide in social media, is about 20% of overall spending. You might know the figures better than me, but I would expect it should reach 50% in the coming years worldwide because this is how people are engaged. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, when I started in advertising, you know, people would always say word of mouth was the best endorsement right. you could possibly have. And in many ways, all social media has done and all the technology around social media has done is made people able to share their thoughts, opinions and recommendations with larger and larger circles of people. Yeah, so tending to the community of fans, of super fans that you have in each different market seems to me a hugely productive activity that is, 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 can be unlocked for many brands that don't um, um, have as much attention as they could have. Because these are the people who actually will defend you when something goes wrong. These are the people who will recommend you to their friends. Um, anything that you can do to um, help those communities, both protect them and provide them with entertaining, interesting, useful information, is, um, is, is maybe one of the most productive investments that you can make in marketing. And those communities are local. Those communities are primarily local communities in a specific language. Mm. Um, this is very challenging for international brands because they tend to delegate social media to local operations um, simply because it's such a local media. But then they don't have visibility on the single probably strongest tool that they have in their arsenal to engage with people. And they don't have a central visibility of it. So newsroom this uh, the, the unit or the business that you've set up yeah. is actually about uh, allowing global clients to have a, uh, a a resource of you know articulate strategic minded multicultural multi-language uh, resource at hand to not just listen but also respond to what's happening in social media yeah exactly to listen on one hand um, to listen actively or proactively in different languages what people are saying about the brand or what local brand operations themselves are putting out so that you can see what is the most interesting, what are the um, key things being said by key influencers and you can adjust your message and become much more effective that way. I think listening is the most powerful tool of all. Um, um, secondly, it's um, localizing content in a way that makes it relevant socially in the local market, culturally, um, linguistically, and then thirdly, it's speaking in the voice of the brand with community managers locally, mm -hmm. so that you have people who are all trained in the same way for the brand everywhere around the world. They have a playbook, they have rules of engagement, they know how to speak in the voice of the brand, and we provide central governance very closely together with the client. Because that's probably, arguably, the most important person today in a brand organization is their community managers on the ground, because they're facing the customer. And, and, you know, this gets that consistency for brands, which is so important, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you, you know, if you're managing a global brand and your example before Dyson's approach is to go into a market as missionaries and say, this is the way it is, like it or lump it. But, you know, you're able to adapt to the particular needs in a way that doesn't compromise the very core proposition of the brand. 
That's a really powerful offering. and uh... Exactly. And, and probably there are very few brands that get it completely right, but just getting it relatively right is already, um, I'd say, a qu quite a big step in success. Um, what I mean by relatively right is that a brand speaks in a voice that is coherent around the world, not necessarily 100% consistent, not necessarily completely rigidly consistent, but coherent, so that whatever they say makes sense. You can say, well, oh yes, this company makes sense, like Red Bull, it's about um, the, the, the experience mm. that you get with Red Bull. And no matter where you go, it's about the experience, and it's coherent everywhere in the world. Red Bull is also a fantastic example of a brand that's been fa fabulous at social. Well, I think most brands hopefully have moved away from the idea that consistency is just having matching luggage, you know, because really about building a brand empathy or, or brand desirability is, is again, mimicking hu who human beings are, yes. you know, to make it as real as possible on a human level. And the interesting thing about us as human beings is that, you know, Elliot is Elliot, and every time, whether it's in a business role or a personal role, there can be subtle changes in clothing and, and manner, but you are still at the very core consistent to who you are. Yeah, and if a brand can do that, then it gets closer to what it feels like when you have a conversation with a person. Having a conversation with a brand, um, um, you want it to be as close as possible as what it would be like having a conversation with a person. Absolutely agree when you travel, if you're a brand or if you're a person, you may dress differently, you may speak a little bit differently to adjust, but you're the same person and you want that personality to shine through. So brands that have a strong personality and know who they are will have an advantage in that. Yeah, and yet, yeah, I think it's in trying to lock down the brand, they actually make it more mechanical because they make these rules that don't allow it to adapt within the personality of the brand. It makes the brand have to respond the same way over and over again in a robotic sense. And I, I thought uh, one of the great tests was uh, that they, they say you'll not, they will know they have perfected artificial intelligence when you have a conversation with a computer or a robot and you think it's a human being. You know, rather than something going through rope. And I think brands have to be the same thing. Well, it has to feel like you're communicating with a person that is the brand, you know, the personification of the brand, rather than a robot or a, a script of responses that come back to you. But um, it's interesting you mentioned artificial intelligence because that's being used increasingly in community management, and I think it's a hugely powerful thing. There's a, there are a lot of software tools now that are helping brands manage their social media around the world, and um, there's a lot of things that can be filtered by artificial intelligence, such as the use of inappropriate language. Um, you can do some very basic sentiment analysis to see if language tends to be more positive or negative being used. You can track that over time. And I suspect that that will get much, much better as time goes on. But I don't think it will eliminate the need to have a human being who's managing the things that are critical in the personal communication that comes at the very end. I think that will take a long time before we get there. And well, it's a mistake to say let's just replace the people by technology. It's you need smarter and more empathetic people than before. Yeah, most of those systems require people to have constant input yeah. so that it learns along the way. Part of the artificial intelligence paradigm is that it's a, a learning system that learns from the people that have input into it. Yeah. And, and I agree with you. I mean, uh, 
human beings respond to human beings in an empathetic way, hopefully, when they're allowed to. And this is how we build relationships. It's exactly that that comes to the core of the relationship between brands and their customers, and especially their most fervent customers. Yeah, and I think what, you know, what we're trying to help brands really with is that human engagement. Um, it's the part of branding which is about making a connection. Um, the, the, the advances in digital have created huge opportunities for brands to be much more focused on targeting, using data, um, in, in smart ways, but I think it also means that some brands have got caught up in pure performance and digital is mostly about performance and what you lose sometimes then is the emotional engagement with the brand. Um, so uh, I would advocate using um, talented people in local markets to be engaged with customers and that in the end um, that's not something you'd want to eliminate. Yeah, absolutely. Look, this has been a fascinating conversation. Really enjoyed it. Um, but I think uh, we're going to have to uh, call it quits there. Thank you very much, Elliot. It's Thank been you, a, a terrific. Uh, oh, I have got one last question for you. And that is of all of the cultures and all of the cities in all of the world, which one is your favourite place to be? Mm -hmm.